When you use sorry in an email, the recipient of that email now automatically thinks less of you. They've shown this in psychological studies, and yet people use sorry for not responding sooner or something to that effect all the time. Hello and welcome to another Picking Brains podcast. And today I'm going to be speaking with a Forbes featured writer, a LinkedIn influencer, and a LinkedIn local LA host, Patrick Ward. And we speak about a lot of things, including taking the leap and going from a safe, settled life in Australia to LA, the challenges you had to face by doing that. We speak about using correct grammar and words to communicate yourself both on the platform, on emails, and the way you present yourself overall, and all of these other different things. I think this interview had a lot of really good golden nuggets, so I don't want to waste too much time by talking. So I just want you to go straight into it, listen, and enjoy the interview. Let's go. So thanks a lot for coming on, Patrick. I really value your time. I know it's really late in LA right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> so I do really appreciate you actually taking the time to do this. Um, I really just want to dive in into getting to know a bit more about you, your background, your story. Um, you're currently living in LA and you've been living there for about three years, hasn't it? Yeah, a little bit over three years. So as your audience can probably tell, uh, I'm not originally from America. Uh, yeah. This is not a Californian accent. <laughs> That's not normal, yeah. <laughs> no, it certainly isn't. So I was born and raised in Australia, uh, did my whole schooling there, did my college degree there, uh, moved to America after doing a couple of exchanges, Literally, I had a job in Australia, I'd finished college, I had my family, I had my friends, and so everyone had said the same thing, you've got it made. And I just felt, no, there's, there's, something, there's something more to be gained out of this. You know, Were those of, the key words that kind of made you start thinking about something else? You got it made? It wasn't so much that, it was, it was actually, a, a stagnation moment and mm. the moment I, I can pinpoint is I was looking around at this job it was an ad agency and everyone else in the job was you know early 30s but mm. had been doing the exact same job that they got straight out of college and so in that moment I got like very scared like a 10 years of my future flashed before my eyes and I was like oh god it's just going to be like that for 10 years and I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to have wasted part of my life. Right. So rather than do that, I decided I needed to change something up. So packed bags, literally didn't know how I was going to make it work, but just went to LA and thought, let's give America a crack. Let's see. So, you know. how, how long did it, did it go from understanding that you want to change something to actually moving to LA? What was the time frame? Uh, the time frame. So I, I, I decided on this in my final year. Uh, so in 2015, um, and then maybe with all the paperwork that there is to do, uh, probably about six months of that process, wrapping up, um, yeah. some loose ends yeah. and then literally started 2016, just came out to LA and, you know, it was a, a couple of months, probably about a good three months of job searching. I, I knew I was probably about two to three weeks 
away from not having any money left and just get to drag myself back to Australia. But luckily I got a job at that time and then, you know, it's been smooth sailing (laughs) ever since. Why, why, why LA? What's, what's, why that specific location? LA, this is where there was a slight pragmatic side to me. Um, So as I mentioned, I'd done two, uh, exchanges. I'd done one on the East Coast at George Washington in DC, and yeah. I'd done one at UCLA. But in in addition to UCLA, I'd also worked at an advertising agency as an intern. Right. And so I figured like I had more, uh, I guess you would call uh, workplace contacts, corporate contacts. Right. And so if, you know, moving countries is hard and a hard enough endeavor. So yeah. I figured it was probably my best shot, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> At least getting an initial foothold, if you will, in America before I started to to think elsewhere. Yeah. So what what was the biggest, I guess, challenge when you came to LA first? What was the thing that you needed to really overcome? Um, deep suspicion. So as much as uh, America <laughs> loves Australians, uh, they're still like any country, and I don't even blame America for this because every country is the same. Right. There's still a bias towards uh, the familiar and a bias against the unfamiliar. So, you know, I come in and instead of putting down $500 for a security deposit, which is what most everyone else does, I had to put 5000 because I had no... I had no American credit. So they're like, well, we can't trust you. So you need to put down extra money, obviously money that I didn't really have. Mm. Uh, And then even when applying for jobs, even though, um, you know, I'd said I'd won the green card and therefore was had rights to work. People were still a little suspicious. They they treated my four year degree with suspicion. They treated my work experience with in Australia with suspicion. The only thing that finally did get me a job, funnily enough, is when someone pointed out who was in advertising said, oh, MNC Saatchi LA, I know those guys, they're just down the street from me. And that was the, again, the common ground. And then once I'd got that first job, it's been easier since because once you have that first work experience in a place, now you suddenly have some credibility and now people are are more inclined to trust you where perhaps they weren't going to before. Yeah. So as somebody from the outside going in into the US, what do you think is the biggest misconception about LA or maybe the US itself in general? Um, because, you know, speaking personally from my own perspective, you know, I, I myself am an immigrant and I'm originally from Lithuania and growing up, the United States and LA, it's, it's something like a dream, right? It's, it's really glamorized for you. What's, 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 when you actually get there, is there, what's you say the, the biggest misconception about it? I would say there's two misconceptions. I'll say one about LA and one about America. So right. about LA, it, it's very much glitz glamour is what's sold to you. And really, that's a small pocket of the industry of the entertainment industry, but there's a vast majority of tech startups. There's a lot of finance here. There's a lot of real estate here. There's a lot of other industry, you know, fairly normal big city industries that exist here. And a lot of those people are just 
everyday hardworking people that, you know, aren't into the, the entertainment industry and, and in many ways kind of, you know, get a bit resentful of the fact that it takes this hold over the city. I mean, that was the same thing. Everyone said, oh, why are you going to LA? It's superficial. And it's like, yes, that exists, but it's not the whole thing. I mean, this city is about 11 million people, you know, just saying about the couple of thousand, you know, big, big stars in the entertainment industry, it's clearly not reflective. And then the biggest misconception about the United States is that it is a country. In many ways, the United States, I mean, it's a minor miracle it even is a nation because if you really look at it, it mimics a, a collection of countries in a similar way to Europe does. There's so many differences between the Northeast, differences to the South, difference to the Midwest, difference to California, difference to the Pacific Northwest. All of these different cultures are very unique in their own way and very clashing all the time. I, 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 that's honestly the biggest misconception that there is one type of American. I would argue there's at least 50 different types of the average American. That's probably why they travel within the US itself rather than outside, isn't it, mostly? That is very true. What is it? Slightly over 50% of Americans don't have a passport. And that was really foreign to me because as soon as I hit 16, like it was a rite of passage for Australians to get your adult passport. Oh yeah, you have to, yeah. <laughs> because because we're, we're, we're far away from everyone. Like we have to go <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right, so for somebody that's, say, at the moment is in a similar position, you might say maybe in a bit of a rut or not happy with their daily routine and maybe actually wants to take the leap themselves, but might be a bit hesitant or afraid to do so. It is, a, it is a big transition. What would you say one piece of advice you could give that really sort of helped you during that period? I would say learn what your baseline is. And what I mean by this is, so when I was analyzing, do I come to America or not? I was thinking very like fatalistically, what is the worst case scenario? That is going to be my baseline. And my worst case scenario, I thought, was I'm going to go to America, I'm going to have a go, I'm going to fail, I'm going to have to drag myself back to Australia, where all my family are, all my friends are, and arguably, given the industry, I could probably get that same job again. So if that's the baseline, basically my the same situation as I'm already in, versus the upside and this is the funny thing about our the way our minds work our minds are triggered to fear loss more than they are driven to acquire gain and this is very much a a survival mechanism right it's much easier for the human mind to comprehend keeping a hold of what it already has rather than acquiring some mystical thing that is out there that they don't quite yet know but that's the funny thing. By taking that leap, I exposed myself to an enormous amount of upside that I couldn't have even anticipated. Like if you'd asked Patrick moving uh, when he was moving to America, would he in three years be making three times his, Amer- uh, his Australian salary? Would he be featured in Forbes as a writer? Would he be 
co-hosting the LinkedIn Local LA, he would have told you, that's mad. That's never going to happen. And yet those achievements happened as a direct result of taking that leap versus if I had just stayed in Australia and I would have just plateaued. I would have been on the same level as I was before. So I think that's the key thing. If, if you can calibrate yourself to see that your downside actually really isn't that much of a downside mm. and your upside is virtually limitless, that should tell you and give you the motivation you need in order to take such a leap. Yeah, there's something I heard the other day which said um, not taking a risk is also a huge risk. And I think this is what you're actually speaking about because you risk not seeing what might be, you know. And if, as you, as you said, like if your baseline, if you're fine with your baseline, if you're, you know, that kind of worst case scenario you can still live with, then there's no, absolutely no reason to actually take the leap. So I really like that. That's really powerful, man. Um, so you mentioned that you've, you know, now that you've a bit settled in, in LA, you've managed to achieve quite a few things, right? So it actually was worth it, right? Um, one of those things is obviously being featured um, as a Forbes featured writer, right? Tell me how did that happen? And how do you get featured on Forbes? <laughs> All right. So th this is probably one of the very common questions I get because now that I've been featured uh, probably about 20 times, yeah. um, people, you know, obviously they associate the brand name with it and they want to know how I got it. Very simple. So I just started showing up on LinkedIn, funnily enough, and I produced a, a regular consistent content around a, a hashtag that I called words, or I still call words with Ward. Uh, and we'll get into that a bit later. But basically, by consistently showing up on the platform, I didn't even realize who I was uh, reaching and resonating with as a result of doing this. So one day, uh, a man by the name of Leonard White, who is the head of memberships at the Forbes councils, there are about nine different councils for different areas. He reached out to me, said, I've noticed your activity on LinkedIn. And as a result of noticing that activity, he looked at my profile, saw that I was, you know, pretty, you know, successful within the marketing space and the communication space, he invited me to apply for the Forbes Communications Council. Mm -hmm. Given that he was already giving me that invite, it was virtually a guarantee. And sure enough, about two days later, I was accepted. Now, the key with the Forbes Communications Council, it gives you a lot of benefits. You know, you're networking with other senior uh, advertising and communications professionals. But the key benefit that I was very excited to receive was it's a fast track to Forbes editors. And so you're able to get your writing, your mentions, your expert analysis directly to them. And I can see why it's a benefit to them. They're able to pull on this pool of expert resources very quickly. But at the same time, through that, I've been able to consistently churn out these mentions in Forbes, which is obviously fantastic from a personal branding standpoint. It, you know, it's amplified, you know, the clout and the credibility of myself as a result of association with it. But yeah, it really just started with showing up on LinkedIn, which is kind of why I tell everyone, 
get on LinkedIn because even if your posts, you know, don't get that much reach Mm. when you think that people aren't watching, it's the lurkers. Leonard had never commented or liked a single piece of my content (laughs) until he came into my direct messages and invited me to apply. So there's a lesson there. Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, And obviously people are, well, LinkedIn is becoming more and more popular now. I think two years ago, it started a bit of a transition into being focused more on content creators and bringing more value rather than just being a CV, you know. Um, (laughs) And one of those things is probably, you know, I've seen a lot of people actually benefit a lot from LinkedIn and being consistent and, and, you know, creating content on it. So being a writer yourself, how could other writers best leverage LinkedIn themselves? Because you're doing a lot of different things. So you're doing, you know, you obviously you've got your hashtag words with Ward, you, you know, you're doing the LinkedIn locals and stuff like that. Is that what you need to do? Or does it need to be sort of that, you know, I guess, deep into LinkedIn and doing all these things to still get the benefits? I've found, and, and the big part of my push is telling uh, specifically with my workshops how employees can leverage LinkedIn, that you don't actually need to spend hours and hours because, yes, it's fine if you're a solo entrepreneur or a coach or, some, or a guru or anything like that. It's fine for you to be spending 10, 12 hours a day on LinkedIn. But what about for the rest of us who've got, we've got nine to five jobs? We you know, we don't have that much time. I show how people can do it in 30 to 60 minutes. So a couple of things that I'd like to point out it, to your question about writers specifically, I think the key for writers is to understand while articles were the way that LinkedIn originally grew, they are not good for reach at the moment. Mm. I know when I put out an article, it gets maybe, maybe 50 views within the first day compared to any other post, you're looking at several thousand views. So a a couple of hundred times more reach. But what writers can do and what I've found great success with and what other writers have found great success with is what's called short form poetry, which you see on LinkedIn. It's this story style format of line break, line break, line break. And you're able to tell quite an interesting story. You get a lot of characters in a short form post, but at the same time, you're able to demonstrate your writing expertise. Mm. Now, not only by doing that, do you demonstrate your skills as a writer, but the funny thing is you get a lot of reach. And the reason you do that break between the lines is it actually is more readable on mobile. And that is the key that probably for 2019 was the first time that mobile readers on LinkedIn were higher than desktop. Because originally, like you say, it was a resume, it was what people looked at at work. Now people are looking at it on the go in the same way that they look at other social platforms. And then the key reason I did Words with Ward as my hashtag is because I tell people, create your content around a content theme. And when you're choosing a content theme, choose it of something that you can come up with 10 to 20 ideas on the spot. If I asked you, what is the one area that you can come up with 10 to 20 ideas right now because it's effortless to you, 
that's what your content should be around. Mm -hmm. And the reason you want to do that is because so many people, they start getting, they try to be consistent. They try it for like three weeks and then they burn out because they no longer have any ideas. And not only do you want it so you can consistently generate that content, but you will start to be known for your hashtag. The funny thing is, I went to an event in uh, June in San Francisco and I met this uh, guy. I was very like excited to meet him. He'd leveraged LinkedIn to get him jobs at Snapchat, Google and Cisco. I thought like this guy was you know, huge, huge deal. And yet the first thing he said to me was, Patrick, words with Ward. And I'd never spoken to him before. Like that can be the That's power of that's really powerful. I was I was shocked because I'm always saying that, uh, you know, branding is something that only a few companies have. Most companies think they have a brand, but they don't have a brand. But that was like a real powerful example of how I'd successfully built a brand that was being recognized by by people who who I idolize like that. That can be what LinkedIn can be for you. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really good. Um, so what are you trying to do with Words with Ward? Like what's, what, what is the theme? What are you trying to achieve with it? So the key with Words with Ward, uh, and this was spawned out of uh, obviously being a writer. I've been a writer since my very first marketing job as a copywriter. So have have always been in the, the word space. And But what I specifically want to do is Words with Ward I use with a corporate tilt because I've seen so many people do themselves a disservice, particularly in the corporate world, by using words incorrectly. So what do I mean by that? It's if you're using just in an email, that's a passive qualifier. It makes you sound less sure of yourself. If you're saying sorry in an email, when you use sorry in an email, the recipient of that email now automatically thinks less of you. They've shown this in psychological studies and yet people use sorry for not responding sooner or something to that effect all the time. And then there are other little nuances. Like if you say, Hey, insert name rather than hi, depending on who you speak to, some people will find Hey too informal that it is offensive. Wow. These are the these are the little things in your speech that they're so innocuous because they're such basic everyday words. And yet people don't realize that the power of words is not only what you think about the world, like how you talk about the world dictates how you see the world as well as how you see yourself, but more importantly, how others are seeing you. And it's not like, getting fancy with your words is not being Shakespearean with your words. It's just using your words very carefully to help support who you are as a person, what you're trying to achieve rather than, you know, making you fight against the grain, so to speak. Right. And so that's, I, I, I guess if you're looking for one overarching mission of words with Ward, that's what I'm hoping people and certainly what, from the comments that I seem to be getting from the interviews that I do of getting people to think very consciously about the words they use rather than just being flippant. So I'll give you another quick example. 
in terms of yourself, if I ask you how you're going today, you could answer good, great, awesome. But maybe you might say not bad. That's actually a really negative way of putting it because it's a double negative and it makes your mind start to think in those ways. And this is, a, I think, a big important thing in terms of how do you feel more confident in, in yourself? Well, if you're artificially giving yourself negative self-talk without even realizing it, then you're naturally bringing your levels lower mm. as opposed to choosing a more positive way of phrasing it. Now, I'm not saying get too airy-fairy. I mean, I've seen the the other side of the positivity movement in LA, which gets a little, <laughs> too, a little too full of itself. Yeah. But nevertheless, you should be a little conscious of not saying you can't do something, not putting yourself down. Yeah. Uh, and I see this also with job seekers. They do it as well that they, they'll say, oh, I'm not ready for that job or I can't do that job. Most job requisitions are a wish list rather than an actual mandated of what, what the traits should be. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, I myself find responding to emails is a, is, a, is a thing that I just need to do very quickly. Um, and I usually don't pay that much attention whether I say hi or hey or something like that. Um, and from the sounds of it, I might need to spend a bit more time <laughs> putting together the emails uh, that I do. Um, but for somebody that's not a, a great writer or even good writer for that matter, um, where, where could those people start off to improve it, right? What, what, is there any sort of checklist or anything like that that I can just say, right, these are the things I need to work on to make sure that I improve, say, my emails? Yeah, um, I think obviously Grammarly, if we're looking at, uh, and it's, continuously evolved. Grammarly just started as a, essentially a spell and grammar mm. checker. Now it's using AI or, or an AI type system to work out if a sentence is too wordy. So that's a good way. Another way of, in, in terms of broader terms, like anything, writing is just practice. Um, and one app that I suggest anyone to use, or it's a website called The Most Dangerous Writing App, com I believe that's it and what it does, what it does is if you stop typing for I believe it's you set the time of how long you want to type and if you stop typing for about five to ten seconds it deletes everything that you've oh written. my god that's stressful <laughs> it, it, very stressful but what it does and I've used it particularly because I'm in the process of, of trying to write a book and like many people who say they want to write a book, put off for months and months at a time writing the book. It just continuously forces me to flex that muscle. And then the same thing, if that's too scary for you, just start posting some of that short form uh, poetry on LinkedIn and you'll see what works and what doesn't. Because that's, that's always the key, right? We, we should always be looking for feedback on what we're doing to see, okay, that's the barometer, this is working, this isn't working as well. Right. That's really good advice. And I think I, I do want to try the website, but I'm really, really scared now because 
It was terrible. It just looks like I'm <laughs> immense. <laughs> yeah, you just you just keep typing. You just keep yeah. typing. It, it's very scary. I know the first like three three times I used it, like it deleted everything. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I I would say if you're scared about starting out, start out writing something that doesn't necessarily matter as much, like something yeah. that you could be okay with losing. Um, yeah. But it is, it is, it's a clever app for sure. <laughs> um, so you're writing a book. How how far into it are you, and what is the book going to be about? So uh, it's going to be about words with Ward. Uh, yeah. That's how I'm branding it. Uh, what I was thinking is, so I've got a scaffold, and I've written probably about a quarter of it so far. I was probably going to get further along with it, but then other things like LinkedIn local and, and, and the new job cropped up. So mm. that pushed the timeline a little, uh, but basically it's going to be around this entire theme that I've just mentioned, helping people think more intentionally about the words. And I did this purely out of, I'd always wanted to write a book. I was doing these interview series for words with borderers asking people, what words they liked and what words they didn't like. Mm -hmm. And then after doing about 10 of them, I thought, wait a minute, I've kind of got my chapters already. Like right. these people are kind of writing the book for me in many ways. So in that way, it's not that it's easier. I mean, well, it is easier. It's not that it's easy because you're still writing a book, but it is giving a, a sort of structure. And that given I'd seen the response of, people finding each of the videos very valuable, then it kind of makes sense to uh, both use those uh, words that the, the interviewees mention as a starting point in which to take this sort of deeper exploration into how we can use better words in order to serve our message. So it's still gonna be in the same theme of everything else I've been doing. Do you have a time in mind when you're gonna look to publish it? I'm I'm looking first quarter of 2020. That's what I'm like. Not that my... far away. Not that far away. No, not that far away. Honestly, yeah. Maybe I should take a couple of weeks off work and just. Bash it. <laughs> no, really looking forward to it. I think your content on LinkedIn is really valuable. So I think putting everything into one place and also sort of you know combining all of the other people's you know thoughts and 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 approaches would be really good to have. Um, one. Uh, the other thing is, I would say, is that way, I, you know, people don't always have to ask me because I'm already cognizant of as I grow, it's going to be more and more pressure on my time. And I want to help everyone. But sometimes I can't physically message one by one. So I could literally just say, check out the book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good, man. Um, one thing I do want to ask about writers on LinkedIn specifically that I forgot to ask before um, is that you did mention that articles don't convert as well as say written form within the post and having sort of you know gaps in between uh, you know small pieces of paragraphs now you yourself do a lot of video right and you do collaborations you do interviews you do LinkedIn local um, for a writer because that's what you're good at would you advise them to 
really double down on what they're good at and just focus on making sure that every single post is written very well, is engaging, or would you say that they need to sort of go out and try different mediums as well to make sure that they're successful on LinkedIn? Yeah, I guess this is where I'm not a stereotypical writer. Uh, so while I do, obviously, writing is my my first love and what what continues to come through all my content, I am an extrovert and I realize there is a, a, a sort of a, a usual disposition, if we will, of introverted writers. You know, mm. the, the, that's the sort of classic stereotype, someone who just sits with their laptop or a, or a notepad and just writes and writes and writes, right? I would say, I would say, first of all, don't get so caught up on being so polished. I've like literally thrown together posts in like two minutes and they've got massive engagement and then other ones I've thought about for a week and they've flopped. So the algorithm is very, uh, unstable and therefore that's why consistency matters rather than like a particular time and a particular type of content mm -hmm. um having having said that i certainly understand the the fear of going into to video and other mediums i do encourage it just purely because uh if, put it this way if if a writer is going to be on linkedin they should be using all different forms of uh, format for their content. If they're not just going to be on LinkedIn, then they can stick to writing. Then it, just make sure you're publishing on LinkedIn, Quora, Medium, Reddit. You know, you've got to diversify in one way or another because that's the thing about all social platforms and and any platform on the internet that what is popular one day will not be popular the next day. And you don't want to hedge all your bets on one specific type yeah. only to have that be uh, taken away from you. Yeah, for sure, man. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, one last question. What's the biggest lesson you've learned so far that impacted your life the most and something you would like to communicate to your younger self? Um, don't be mad at your parents for teaching you independence. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know one. And this is and this is what I, I want everyone to foster. I want every parent to teach it to their kids. I'm gonna teach it to mine, and I hope every kid embraces. So when I was about I was 12 years old and my parents said, We'll keep paying for your food, we'll pay for your clothing, uh, we'll pay for your housing, but anything else you've got to pay for yourself. Mm -hmm. And being 12 years old, the legal age of working in Australia was 14. So literally, I went out and got the one job that was available to a 12-year-old, which was football refereeing. So yeah. I did that. And I remember that I made, you know, made some money, saved it up and bought, this will date me a little, an iPod Classic. Oh. And it was $400. <laughs> and I kept that iPod Classic for about six years yeah. in this because I knew the blood, sweat and tears that went into that. And the reason I say, like I, I was resentful at the time because a ton of other friends were getting money given to them left, right and center. Yeah. And I wasn't getting that. But the funny thing is that independent mindset gave me 
the courage in order to make the leap to America and continues to give me the courage to do whatever I want in life. So I would say my entire life trajectory, my entire life happiness is down to that lesson in independence. So please, please, for the love of God, <laughs> keep your kids independence. <laughs> oh, you're a big thank you to your parents then because you're doing quite well right now. <laughs> They didn't like it when it meant I left for America, but I said, guys, you taught me this. So. <laughs> it's your own fault. <laughs> no, I really like that, man. Um, and overall, I think it's really amazing that, you know, what you're doing is actually impacting a lot of different people um, and you're impacting in a really positive way. You know, you're, you're educating them on, you know, writing grammar, copy, all that stuff and how to actually leverage that for social, for your business. And I think that's really, really important for people to know, like even speaking with you, you know, I, I already, you know, learned stuff about how to write an email and stuff like that. So that's, you know, I think the, the impact you have is really, really great. Uh, not only that, obviously that you do yeah, different networking meetups and collaborations and just, you know, allowing people to get together, share ideas um, and just overall providing value to everybody around you. Um, so, I'm personally really thankful of that. I think what you're doing is great. Uh, and I just want to wish you to keep that growth mindset, keep sharing your knowledge uh, and your learnings uh, and just keep growing your brand. So yeah, really, really keep it up, man. No, thank you, Jonas. It's been a real pleasure. I, I love any time can get on a podcast and, and this has been awesome, awesome fun. Uh, I know we had a chat beforehand and uh, I knew instantly we were going to have some some good learning so so yeah. thank you <laughs> absolutely all right you need to get some sleep now <laughs> i need to get a coffee <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was great speaking with you and i'm sure we'll meet up again in a podcast to update on how your book went absolutely all right thanks take care man you too <laughs>